Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So this morning we're going to be continuing our Bible study in as we, we kind of work through the Lord's Prayer. Last week we talked about forgiveness, and the week before that we talked about forgiveness, and the week before that we talked about forgiveness. Today we're not going to talk about forgiveness, but it's still kind of related, so um, <laughs> I'm sure it'll come up. Um, you know, last week we talked about the fact that Sin is real. Sin exists. The, the wrong things that we do, they happen. They, they, they happen in our lives. And we, we spoke about the fact that the, the power of sin will no longer exist when we get to heaven. And the moment that we become followers of Christ, there's a, a shift that happens, and, and it's, it's binary, right? Binary, zeros and ones. Hi, Addy and Matt, by the way. <laughs> when I think of binary, I think of tech people, and, and there you are. <laughs> um, binary, right? It, it, there, there is only one, one option. Either you are a friend of God, and as soon as you become a friend of God, a follower of Christ, you become an enemy of someone else. You become an enemy of Satan. And again, because it's binary, if you haven't made the choice, then, then you are a friend of Satan. And, and that seems like, man, that's harsh. Matt, that's a, a harsh thing to say first thing on a Sunday morning. But it's true. It is because if you're not a friend of God, then who are you a friend of? And it, it, you, get, you have to choose. You don't get to sit in the middle. It, it's one or the other. And so what happens is when we make this choice, to say, God, you are the king of my life. I'm choosing to, to call you friend, knowing that you have already won the war. We then can show up and we can confidently fight in the battles that take place on our day-to-day life, in our day-to-day life, because they're going to happen when we face temptation, when you face sin, those things are going to happen, and, and it's in those moments that we have these, these battles. It's in those moments that we, we worked with the tools that God has given us, and we're able to proclaim victory in those moments. There is no period in the Christian life when we are exempt from temptation. Man, what a bummer. <laughs> there, there is no period in the Christian life where we are exempt from temptation. You know, sometimes maybe when you were young, I know there are times in my life where I was like, man, when I get older, I'm just not going to have to deal with this particular area in my life anymore. And it's not true. <laughs> it was all a lie. The, the things that, that I was tempted to, uh, to deal, to interact with, when I was eight, <laughs> followed me when I became a teenager, followed me when I went to college, and they're still following me now. You know what happened is I just got those things and I got some more. <laughs> it wasn't that anything ever went away. It was just, they, it just kept piling on. 
And from all of the nods in this room, it, it seems like this is a pretty universal experience. <laughs> that, that as we get older, the more and more we discover that the, the same old temptations that we were faced with when we were children, they, they follow us. Maybe they, they change their clothes a little bit. Maybe they, they comb their hair, but they still are the same thing. <laughs> Temptation is a reality. It is unavoidable. And the only way to be free of temptation is to be dead. So be careful when we pray to be delivered from temptation. <laughs> so, because that's the only way. There, there is no other way that temptation is going to go away. It, you have to be dead for temptation to be done. And so the fact is that there is a war that is going on. And, and this war is a reality. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning and, and probably next week as well, is there are a number of different realities that exist. And it's important for us to be aware of these realities because as we're aware of them, it, it will kind of direct and guide our actions. It'll direct and guide our, our thought processes, the, the words that we say. And so the first reality is that there is a war that is happening right now. And, you know, sometimes you hear it stated that uh, a, the Christian is involved in a continual and irreconcilable war. And again, it's to this binary point of the, the grace that, that reconciles us to God. And when I say grace that reconciles us to God, that means the grace that, that says that we are a friend of God, that God has called us his own, that grace that reconciles us to God and, and the same God that we were an enemy of prior to that relationship is the same grace that, that antagonizes us to the devil because the devil doesn't want us to have a relationship with God. And if we've chosen to have a relationship with God, then at that point, the war shifts from, I'm going to keep you from having a relationship with God to now I'm trying to take you away from having a relationship with God. Because it is in his best interest, it is in the devil's best interest for us to not be in good relationship with God. And so this, this whole thing pivots from, I'm working to keep you, to now I'm working to take you away. I'm working to steal joy from you. I'm working to steal hope from you. I'm working to make you doubt that you are in fact a child of God, that you actually have value, that you actually have worth. And part of the process that they go through in, the, in this process of temptation, in this conflict that is continually happening, is this lie that says, well, when you become a follower of Christ, everything just starts working the way it's supposed to. When you become a follower of Christ, you don't face temptation anymore. When you become a follower of Christ, everything is just a bed of daisies. And if you aren't experiencing that, then what's wrong with you? If you aren't experiencing that, then maybe you're not really saved. If you aren't experiencing that, maybe there's, there's something that's going on in your life that that is maybe just too much for God to be able to handle. 
That's, those are the lies that the devil starts planting in you as you start dealing with temptation, as you start dealing with these attacks that are saying, trying to pull you away from a God who loves you. Sometimes it, there is a, a marketing problem when it comes to Christianity. Sometimes this marketing problem is, is, you know, people are so focused on trying to get a decision that they do incorrectly state that, hey, you should just show up and, and sign the form, join the team, because when you do, everything's going to be great after that. But it's not true. Every single person in this room knows it's not true. <laughs> It, it doesn't work that way. There is still conflict. There is still trouble that exists. There is still sin that exists. We just said sin is going to exist in this world until we are in heaven. That is when the presence of sin will be done away with. And so that brings us to our next reality. And that reality is that evil is real. When Jesus prays in John 17, it's a different prayer than the Lord's Prayer. He, he doesn't pray that, God, I, I pray that you would just take everybody out of this world. He says that we would be protected from the evil one. He says, Father, don't take them out of this world. Leave them in the world, but make sure that they're protected from the evil one. And as we come to this point in the Lord's Prayer that the next phrase that we're talking about, lead us not into temptation. We need to be really clear. God is not leading anybody into temptation. He's not, hey, come with me. This is going to be fun. No, God is, is leading us not into temptation. He's leading us into his grace. He's leading us away from those things that, that would cause damage to us. Now, Again, does that mean that we just never have to experience it? No. We live in a broken world, and, and we live in a world that was broken as soon as Adam and Eve made the choice to be broken. As soon as Adam and Eve made the choice to, to eat the fruit they weren't supposed to eat, that introduced sin into the world, and, and for a reason that none of us can answer. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how many degrees you have. You are not able to explain why God decided that the, the sin that existed in Adam is now going to follow through to every single human to me today. I, I don't have an answer. Do I wish it wasn't that way? You bet. <laughs> but it is. And, and because it is, we deal with the reality of sin. We deal with the reality of evil. It exists in this world. The, the Bible is equally clear on the personality of the one who is behind that evil. In 1 John 5:19 it says, "Satan the evil one is the god of this world and the world and the whole world is under his control." From time to time, there's this conversation that will happen with people, maybe people that that don't have a relationship with Christ and and can you explain what, it, what is going on in this world? There's wildfires that are destroying entire towns. There's earthquakes. There's, there's hurricanes that are uprooting uh, homes. There's death. There's destruction. There's unrest. There's social inequality. There's problems with the economy. What is going on in this world? It, it's just crazy. 
Why are people the way they are? And there's an answer. The answer is that the, the God of this world is Satan. Hell is his domain. Hell is what he likes to introduce people to. And hell is where you live when you're under his control. In the Bible, he's, he's depicted as a ferocious lion. He is totally indifferent to the well-being of his victims. The devil, according to the Bible, is behind all sin. And before we are born again into the Spirit of God, and before we are born again into that relationship with Christ, we actually belong to the domain of the evil one. And our evil actions are proof of that. And most of the time, if that is the, the conversation that you have, if this is with someone who really doesn't have any background in the church, they don't have any uh, experience in this area, most of the time they're going to think, you are nuts. What are you talking about? You're telling me that there is a devil that is actively seeking the uh, destruction of you in this world? You bet. For every single smart aleck response that, that comes back that way, <laughs> I can point to another response from another person who absolutely knows beyond the shadow of a doubt that there is a personal devil because they are interacting with him on a daily basis. And it, you know, it's uncomfortable to talk about. You don't hear pastors say, okay, today we're going to talk about the devil today. But it's real, and it's helping him when we don't talk about it. It's helping him when we say, you know, there's not really a hell. There's not a consequence that, that exists for the choices and the actions that we make. That's not true. <laughs> and, you know, we want to be uplifting. We want to be encouraging. And we can be encouraging in the midst of that because there is hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ Jesus Christ is the one who said, you don't need to suffer in this pit of despair because I have made a way for you to be with me for all of eternity. But without there being a real personal devil that is trying to attack me, without there being a hell that is the consequence of sin, then what is the point of that sacrifice in the first place? Why did he need to go die on a cross? Why did he need to make a way for me to be with him if there wasn't anything for me to be concerned about? If we take a look at all of the human accomplishments that exist in this world, sometimes I am fascinated when I look at the, the effort that the United States went through to put a human being out of our atmosphere in a vehicle and land it on the moon. And it, 
You know, if you just stop and think about that from like a really technical standpoint, like what is, it's a marvel that we can step outside these four walls, we can get into a car, and we can drive in a car to my house. <laughs> that I can get on a plane that, that goes up in the air and flies and brings me to Arizona and lands and there's my family there. It's a, a miracle that that is the case. It is so much more so that somebody with, was it 1960s, 1970s technology, and we're blasting someone out into space. We're able to put them on the moon. And not only that, like, I mean, that would have been amazing, but we were able to bring them back again. <laughs> it's amazing. And yet with all of that, with all of that technology, we are still unable to explain why the human race is unable to master the impulses that exist in our own lives. After all of these scientific and technological advances, we are still unable to master our own minds. We are still unable to master the, the drives that exist within us. Why is it that an individual will, will tell lies? Why is it that an individual will cheat, steal, uh, be envious, be proud, be selfish? Why, why do people act that way? Why is it that we are intrigued by immorality? Why is it that we enjoy talking about other people? Why is it that it is so much easier for me to exalt myself and put others down than it is to exalt others and put myself down. Why is it that that's so easy? The, the Bible answers the question. It says, when Adam sinned, he, he brought sin into the world and, and we got that sin too. Each and every one of us is born as a fallen man or woman. We were sinful before we sinned. And I always like this illustration, not this illustration, this example. That's why you don't have to teach a child to be defiant. That's why you say, okay, we're going to sit down today. I have a book that we're going to work through. And we'll just take a couple of pages a day. And by the time we get through it, you will be a wonderful aggravation to your teacher. We're going to go through this process. It'll take a while for you to get the hang of it, but that's okay. Keep trying, and you'll get the hang of it eventually. No, that's not what happens. What happens is you get that telephone call from your school teacher that says, man, your child is wonderful. <laughs> and the fact of the matter is children are born juvenile delinquents. <laughs> they're working it out as they go and nobody had to teach them how to do it i was a juvenile delinquent anybody else in this room started out that way and what fixes us well education fixes us right not at all <laughs> no education has nothing to do with it we'll get to that in a second but Again, we don't like to think about this. We don't like to talk about it because everybody has a perfect child, right? I have perfect children. 
The, the perfect child is a nuisance. The, the perfect child is, is always in the place of position. The perfect child is, is always the priority. They are never told to be quiet. And why is that? Because people so often, and I am right there, forget that there is a need for discipline. That this bundle of potentiality that exists that I'm holding right here is in need of discipline is in need of being nurtured, being cared for. And this is so not correct in today's terms, but they're in need of being subdued. And Matt, you would stifle a child? (laughs) No. (laughs) But if we are left to being able to do everything that our, our hearts and our minds imagine, and we've just established that we start out as sinners, and that means that there has to be some level of restriction in place. And that's why when, when Oliver was born, when we swaddled him, I mean, we wrapped him up as tight as, like, I thought I was going to cut off circulation, but we swaddled him as tight as you could, and it was only when you swaddled him that tightly that he was, yeah, this is good. And he would calm down and, and he would stop crying. And, and that restriction, that closeness is what brought comfort to him. And, and that's why when you see children that have just lived a life of, of total abandon, where their parents have neglected them terribly, and all of a sudden there's a, a, an authority figure that shows up and provides structure and discipline, it's a breath of fresh air for that child. And all of a sudden you see this child grow and flourish and, and it's all because there's somebody who's saying, no, you shouldn't do that. Stop it. When Jesus says what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. That's, that's what this is talking about. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. And this was in a response to this conversation that he was having with these Pharisees. The Pharisees showed up and said, well, everything that you just have to, to take things in, and as long as you're eating this thing, as long as you're saying this in the right way, as long as you're doing these specific tasks, then you're fine. That's how you get to heaven. And Jesus said, no. You're, you're absolutely incorrect. This has nothing to do with what you eat. It has nothing to do with whether you touched this or touched that. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's not what goes into a man that makes him clean. It's what comes out of him. And he says, for within... Out of men's hearts comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder. And he just works through a a list that we would all just really rather prefer not show up in the Bible, but it's there. And the deception of our hearts that, that happens anytime we're having this type of conversation is, you know who needs to hear this sermon? Susie, my next door neighbor. You, need, you know who needs to know about this is Joe, my coworker. 
And we start thinking about all of these different people that we need to call and say, man, they, they would really benefit from hearing about this, this talk about sin. But I'm fine. And the, you know that internet meme where the, the dog's sitting at the table and the house is burning, around, burning down around him and he says, I'm fine. Everything is fine here. That, that's what is, is happening here is this, this house is burning down around us, but we're fine. We talked about education. Maybe that's the solution to the, the children having these particular problems. Education is the answer. Education is not the answer. Because, and the reason education isn't the answer is because ignorance isn't the problem. Ignorance has, has nothing to do with the problem. It's not that we're educated and, or ignorant and we need to be educated to solve the issue. And if enough people were educated, all of a sudden we're just living in a perfect society and, and nothing bad would ever happen. No, that's not true. Millions and millions and millions of dollars are spent by Western governments in order to educate about uh, safe sex, are spent in order to educate about uh, drug addiction and the dangers of drug addiction and substance abuse, in order to, to educate the sexual immorality out of people, in order to educate drug use out of people. It can't be done. It is not possible. And, oh, Matt, you're, you're now attacking education. Do you know education is great? We need education, but we can't rely on it to fix broken people. Ignorance is not the problem. For from within, out of a man's heart, comes all of these things. Information in the mind cannot satisfy the needs of the heart, nor can it tame the unruliness of the soul, one author says. So what are we supposed to do? Is, is this just a, a message of bad news today? <laughs> no, thankfully not. It's good news. What we need is a change from the inside out. No amount of external input is going to fix this particular problem. We need, really, technically, a heart transplant. That, that is the fix to this process. Have you had a heart transplant? And obviously, we're not talking about physically cutting you open and putting a heart in you. Um, have you ever prayed, create in me a clean heart, O oh God? Renew a right spirit within me. Have you come to God and said, you know, that makes sense. I, I do have a deceitful heart. <laughs> I do make choices that only benefit me. I, I do look out for myself. I am selfish. I always grade myself on a curve. And when I think about my relationship with you, God, I tend to think of all of the great things that I've done that have made me deserving of this relationship. And typically assuming that all of the good things that I've done outweigh the bad things, and so I'm good. I have a deceitful heart. I want a heart that is Christ's home, 
so often. I, I love this illustration, and I, I heard it maybe three or four weeks back. This, this idea of, I am sitting on the throne of my heart, but I need God to be. I am the one who, who constantly clangs up into that chair and sits down and says, I've got the plan. But the fact of the matter is God wants to be the one sitting on the throne of my heart. When I'm the one sitting on the throne of my heart, my family knows it. The people that I work with know it. My, my friends that I interact with, they know it. The people that maybe have never met me, even though they don't necessarily know what they're seeing, they recognize. And we disguise it by saying all the right things, by, by doing the things we're supposed to do in a contemporary environment, such as this one that we live in today. But God, before you right now in this time, I'm, I'm saying I want you to be the one sitting on the throne of my heart. Have you ever said that? Is that something we need to come back to this morning and say, God, I, I tried to sit in the chair today. <laughs> I tried to, to take over and I'm, I'm once again giving up control. I'm, as that song says, laying down my rights. Because the beautiful thing about this relationship with God is he doesn't kick you out of the chair. He says, you know, if you want to be in the chair, you can sit in the chair. But this is so much better. My way for you is so much better. I have so much more in mind for you. I have the best in mind for you. I'm laying down my rights, God. I'm giving up my pride for the promise of the life that you have guaranteed. So that's really what church is about? Absolutely. <laughs> that is absolutely what church is about. It's not about just building a congregation of nice people. It's not about just putting a bunch of people that think the same thing together and say, well, you guys can just work it out. If it was just a group of nice people, a group of religious people, they would come together as a group of religious people and they would die a group of religious people and it wouldn't matter at all that they were there. Church, this thing that we're doing this morning that's supposed to not only take place in the hours from 10 to 11, but maybe, just maybe throughout the rest of our week as well, um, the point of church is to see the Bible come alive in us. It's about seeing the sacrifice that God has made in our lives bring about fruit that is then used and shared with people that don't have a relationship with Christ, so that, so that other people can know that there's a point to all of this. There is a point to your life. There is a point to your existence, and it's more than just doing the things that feel good to you. It is to come and to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
who wants to be your personal Savior, who wants to sit on the throne of your life. Because being a follower of Christ is not just saying, yeah, I believe in my head what the the Bible says is true, but it's I believe in my head what the Bible says is true, and because of that, my entire life changes. My entire life changes to reflect what I know to be true. My life, my death, my, my eternity is based on the fact that Jesus Christ is not leading me into temptation. Jesus Christ is leading me into grace, is leading me into protection, is leading me into hope, is leading me into healing leading me into the benefits of his righteousness. And so this week, we're going to stop right here. But next week, we're going to pick up on this right where we left off. We're going to still stay on this topic of temptation and moving away from the realities of the theoretical and moving to the physical, the practical. How do we, how do we deal with this in our life? Because the fact is, it, it's real. It exists. It's something that when you leave this place in the next 10 minutes, you're probably going to run into it. But the, the fact of the matter is, yes, we will run into it, but we can claim victory through Jesus Christ. It is not a hopeless situation that we come to face in each of these battles because Jesus Christ has already run, won the war and because we are his friends, because he has made a sacrifice for us, we can be victorious as well. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you are not leading us into, into temptation. You are delivering us. You are protecting us, delivering us from evil. God, so sometimes it is just so uncomfortable to, to think about the fact that there is a real hell that is the consequence of sin. There is a real devil that is seeking to actively undermine your kingdom on this earth, that is actively seeking to cause us to question our value and our relationship with you. Lord, this morning, we recognize that we are who you say we are. We are not defined by the temptations that we face. We are not defined by the mistakes that we have made. God, we are defined by the words that you have spoken over us to say, I am a child of the King. Lord, we thank you that you have defined us, that you have called us, that you are actively working in our lives. God, as we go from this place into our coming week, as we we deal with the the day-to-day temptations that will come up, God, help us to rely on you. Help us to daily, hourly, minute by minute, choose to continue to have you sitting on the throne of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 